Welcome to Punk Frockers, a community sewing podcast brought to you by Jenny Hassler and Beverly Baptiste. So Beverly, it's really great to see you. And I know you've got an update for listeners about our last episode. I sure do. Last week, I made an unfortunate mistake. I edited the podcast and used an unedited version when I uploaded it to the server. So many of you may have noticed that there were some, you know, Jenny and I weren't sure how to pronounce our guest's name. We did, we misgendered our guests. And these are things that we corrected ourselves for in the podcast, but we would always normally edit those things out. And I'm sorry that didn't happen. I did re-release a new version of that. Some of you may have gotten two podcasts in your inbox um, with your server. Some of you may have only gotten the old one. Uh, If you would like to listen to the edited version, you can always go to punkfrockers.com. If you go to, if you click the episodes button, you'll see um, this most current, this last episode. And I have put the correct version in there. So sorry about that. So the awesome news is that you have the opportunity to go and listen to the version that is as we intended. And I'd encourage you to make sure you do that. What have you been up to, Jenny? Oh, my goodness. So right now, as we record, I'm in the middle of a pattern test for a dress that I've wanted to see um, sized up to fit my body for some time. So I'm very excited about that. Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to disclose that yet, so I'm not going to, but I'm, I'm really excited about it. And it's one where it will have pockets and I will be sewing the pockets because they're a design feature. So that's kind of cool, right? Yes. And now you have all our listeners thinking about design featured featured pocket pocket dresses. Yep. (laughs) Yes. Which ones have not been sized up yet and which ones will (laughs) So I'm very excited about that, that one that I'm really excited about. But I've also continued my foray into making Vogue patterns that that don't fit me by right, where the pattern sizing is much smaller, 50-inch hip typically, than my own body size. And the most recent one that I've done is super weird. I'm not going to name the pattern number here, but it. I'm going to be posting that one before this podcast comes out on my Instagram feed. I made it out of a double brushed poly bandana print fabric that goes between a variety of different colors across the length of the fabric. And I thought, oh, this will be super fun. This is exactly my vibe. This dress, this dress is sloppy big on me. like sloppy big on me. It is, it is terrible. It is one of the worst things I've made. (laughs) Um, In addition to that, the arms, the the sleeves are designed for arms that are easily six inches longer than mine. Now I don't have abnormally short arms. (laughs) I definitely don't have abnormally long ones, but I don't have abnormally short arms on most garments. I'm within an inch plus or minus, depending on the designer, of the sleeve length. On this one, though, the sleeves go past my fingertips so <laughs> in a very exciting really way. bad drafting. 
It does sound like very bad drafting, doesn't it? Um, it is It is very badly drafted. And I'm going to make the argument that no one bothered making the XXL and putting it on a body that it was intended to fit ever. I, I don't think that's been done. Um, I think they they tested it for the small sizes and were like, math says this is what should happen. And so that's what happened. And it is ridiculous how bad this looks on me. Um, it looks in fact so bad when my husband took the photos of me. Um, I had been originally planning to shorten the sleeves and do a couple other things to it, see if I could get it to where I'd like it. I hate it. I hate it completely. Mm -hmm. I am not remaking this. I am not trying to fix it. I am just calling this a crappy pattern that didn't work out well and I'm going to bin it. Um, I, I will be posting it because, you know, the fails are also a lesson, but um, but it is it is truly terrible. One of the one of the worst things I've tried to make. Now, do you think any of this was compounded at all by the fact that it was um, double bush poly, which tends to stretch more like maybe it was hangy or something? So it's no, because okay. the flat measurement of the pattern piece I see is too long. OK, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I agree with you that that can be an issue. But in this case, the length of the dress falls where I would expect it to. I see. And the flat measured pattern pieces would be ridiculously long. Just a bad pattern. So it couldn't possibly have been made better, right, by yeah. the material I chose. But it was not made worse, I do not believe. God, I hate it. It's so bad. It's so bad. It's going to be embarrassing just to put the pictures up. But I will be totally doing that because they are... They are truly a wonder to behold. And this is a pattern I, I used interfacing on everywhere I was told to. I ironed things. Oh, my goodness. Oh my gosh. You but knew it, that it, was a bad idea. I, I mean, this is why I never do that. Um, but it was, it was truly terrible. I did clear my palette by making several Chriswood parasols and Fiber Mood, Rosalie's, um, and another Chalk and Notch Farah as well, which uh, will be going up on up on my Instagram sometime soon. And the most important thing I did was start spending so much money at fabricstore.com, thanks to uh, Beverly and her bad influence. Um, my favorite thing that I've made so far with material I got from them is my bedspread, which I made out of a material that is, it, it arrives flat, you hem it flat, and then you wash it and throw it in the dryer. And when it comes out, it's seersucker. It's got little crumply up bits. I don't know how to say that better, but it, it puffs up. So it shrinks, I think 27% from in the length of the fabric and 8% or so in the width of the fabric shrinks, but you end up with a textured seersucker like fabric. And it is the perfect weight. I did a single layer just with mitered hemming all the way around. I did a really deep miter. I want to say maybe an inch and a half or two inches double folded miter. And it is it is gorgeous. It fits perfectly on my king size bed for what I do. This is, I, I ordered three yards of it for this version, which means it goes, it, it wears like a blanket, not a bedspread on my bed. It's too short to go over the pillows, for example. Right. But I've ordered another four yard length of it, which will go over the pillows. So this will be a blanket and the next one will be a, a covering, a bed covering, if I choose to use it that way. It is beyond marvelous. I love it so much. They offer it in three colors, which isn't enough. And since I'm about to get really into ice dyeing, 
That'll be exciting. There's a possibility there as well. So I'm very excited about that. Is that yeah. 100% linen or is it a blend or? That's a super good question that could be answered by anyone who paid attention to what they were doing. And so <laughs> I have no idea. Okay. I, I want to say it's a linen blend. I want to say like 70-30 or something. Um, but the way to find it, um, on the website, first off on my Instagram, I named the fabric so you could go look it up, but on the website, um, if you just pull all fabrics and you search by, um, the 108 inch width, this is, there are only three fabrics that come up for that. And it's those. Okay. So I, I recommend it highly. I think it was $25 a yard or $28 a yard, something like that, but three yards to get a bedspread. And this is, this is a completely, well, a blanket is a completely gorgeous blanket. I love it to death. And the, the towels and washcloths I made were made out of one of their waffle weaves that comes completely flat. Again, you hem it, throw them through the washer and dryer and boom, you have towels and hand towels and washcloths. Um, It's two yards to get two towels, a hand towel and four napkins, I think. I don't remember. Something like that is is all that's required of that. I want to say that one's more like 88 inches wide or something. Still really wide. It, it is, but so I, I when I posted that I was going to be doing this on Instagram, I got some feedback from folks. Some folks said they found it all to be very itchy. I don't. I think it's a, a perfectly nice soft thing. They found it to be less absorbent than terry cotton. I agree it's less absorbent than terry cotton, but it's absorbent enough you know, drying me off. So I'm good, but I don't have any hair. So (laughs) so that may be part of the difference. Right. Yeah. Um, but the, the other thing people commented on is that it's just, it makes a towel that's enormous, huge, way more towel than anyone could ever use. That is not true. If you have 62 inch hips, when I wrap it around me, it crosses over in the front enough to cover my boobs and my waist. By the time it's at mid thigh, I I get sort of a triangular V of exposed Mm -hmm. flesh, not the good bits, just, just my thigh, but it's, but it isn't, it isn't too wide at my hip size. It's almost not wide enough, right. Even after the shrinkage. So, um, that's, that's one of those things where I, I had kind of mixed thoughts as I started to look at the comments on it and people, when you look in reviews and stuff, talking about how huge it was, I thought, gosh, you know, I guess I'm huge. <laughs> that's well, you know- that's really what I'm getting out of that feedback. <laughs> Some, I think some people are also used to very small towels that they do not wrap around themselves. Yeah. And I, I've always wanted towels I could wrap around me, but those are hard to come by. Even beach towels aren't always of a length where they will wrap around my body. And so I hadn't considered. Yeah. I'm really excited by it. I've actually ordered some more. Um, I bought this in a dove gray that turned out to be more dove gray than I had planned. And so I've ordered some more in um, sort of teal and aqua colors. <laughs> I know dove gray seems like it's pretty specific and I should have known what was coming. And yet somehow I still thought it was going to be light blue. So there's no explanation (laughs) for that. Um, Except that I've mentioned before, I've got that weird color blindness where certain colors don't register right for me. And so when I looked at it on the screen, it looked, it looked very different. And I thought it was going to match the bedspread. Not that my towels need to match my bedspread, but they are nothing alike. Um, (laughs) Even I can tell that. (laughs) So, so yeah. Well, the good thing is that you can, you know, at any point, if you decide you don't like this color, that's a natural fiber, you can readily dye it and, you know, I'm, I'm planning to have a lot of fun with the ice dyeing. This is one of those things where I think there's a good chance I will suck at it. 
I will do it very badly and be so dissatisfied with the results, but I cannot wait to find out. And one of the things I ordered from linen, uh, from fabricsstore.com is their, that section where they're selling one to five yard cuts, things oh. that are already cut. Oh, wait, I ordered right. a bunch of two and a half yard cuts of bleached linen that's ready for dyeing. Correct. Yeah. And I ordered, I ordered four, two and a half yard lengths so that I can make single things worth. Like I can say, oh, this one's the one I'm going to try cerulean on, or this is the one I'm going to try smoky nice. gray on and see what happens. And then if I hate the results, I've got giveaways. <laughs> so people will get all your rejects. <laughs> I mean, that's my theory. So you know, I think that another nice thing about that is that will make really good material for color blocking because mm-hmm. you'll have the exact same fabric just in yep. different colors and you know the same kind of treatment on it too so that'll be cool. I think it's going to be fun. I have definitely invested more than I had planned in on on this task um which is normally how I go into things but I'm super excited about it. This weekend I'm going to be cleaning out my sewing room and just purging so much stuff with the intention being that I will then be able to um, have space for some of this dyeing materials that I want to keep. So that's great. That's awesome. I can't wait. To I'm excited. So that's a lot about what I'm doing. I know you have been able to return to sewing since you returned from vacation. So tell us about that. Yes. I'm actually really, I've been really happy to sit with my sewing machine. The first thing that I did was I made a pair of these Soho 7 free range slacks. In the past, I had made the taper legs. I made two pairs of those, one that I wear all the time. And then, um, but I had not made the wide leg version. And I decided to make some using a Robert Kaufman Essex linen. And I was hoping that using the Essex linen, because it's cotton mixed with linen, that perhaps it would stretch a little less like stretch out during the day, like grow. It seems to have worked. I made them and they don't seem to have like a baggy butt at the end of the day. And I'm so pleased. The fabric came out and I'm going to stand up and and Jenny can see them probably. It's really pretty fabric too. But yeah, I agree. I don't see a big butt pooch. Yeah, right. See, normal. So um, (laughs) I'm getting my butt here on (laughs) on the Zoom. Highlight of my day. Oh, yeah, everybody's <laughs> jealous. But they, they came out, of, I, at first I thought they're a little bit pajama-y looking, but I decided I like them. So I was I was pleased with that. And then I went on and I made the Chaka Notch Vera. And I think I sent you some cuss words in the middle of the night. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I... So this one is actually, in the end, going to count for PF Anarchy. It was not, it was not intended to. <laughs> so my intention was, I started off, I knew better than, like, I, I, I made this with a cotton sateen, and I knew you had said the drapey works better. But I had this vision in my head of this, the fair dress from Chalk and Notch that you've made several of. I ha- had this vision in my head of this one fabric that I have which is a cotton santine from Narita Hansen that I thought it would look really nice in that. So I made it and I lined the ruffles because it's very different on the other side and it was a dark fabric. And so I decided to do, to go ahead and do that. Anyways, I made the top fine. 
the cussing came in with the gussets. I got that done. It's <laughs> if you ha- if you haven't made the pattern, I mean, don't let that stop you or anything. It's just a little finicky putting the gusset in. It's you have to kind of get a lot of things together at the same time. Mm-hmm. That's what I thought. I make this. Okay, this is great. So I go try it on. And the top is a certain length, right? It's not tunic length. It's not a normal top length. It's in between tunic length and normal top length. And I tried it on with two different skirts, three different skirts, uh, several different pairs of pants. It didn't look good with anything. It looked terrible. I was so upset. And this was like, this was really expensive fabric. And I work so hard at it. And like the hems, you have mitered corners on the hems and there's all this work to do. So I said, well, I have enough fabric left over that I can turn this into the dress version because the dress looks so cute on you. And I knew the dress would look better. I knew that would look better than this top that I made. Okay. So I'm going to try to say this without boring people, but the, the, the <laughs> bottom of the top or dress has a split hem and the front is shorter than the back. And it's a little bit more complicated than a lot of hems because you have these mitered corners that you have on each of the corners of the hem. And so it took some work to do that. So I think that probably most, like the most um, proper way of lengthening the dress would have been to chop it off there and then add on a new that the difference, right? So you'd have one seam, but I didn't want to remake that hem. <laughs> so I cut it off and put a panel. So luckily with this, dr- with this dress, the top and the dress, there's no difference in the, in the hip area. Like it, it doesn't go any wider after that. It just goes straight from there. So I just made a panel in there that was, and the difference in length is 10 inches. So I added 10 inches in there. And because I use that super busy pattern, I don't think you can see it much. I mean, you've seen on my Instagram. It isn't very noticeable. And I would have added a panel too, instead of um, redoing the hem. Now I love the hem at the bottom when um, on my Instagram channel, or whatever the IGTV thing is. Anyway, I've got several videos of me making that pattern. And the hem is one of my favorite bits. I do do some videos of how that's done. Mm -hmm. Um, And I agree with you that the gusset is a son of a gun. Um, I put it in uh, wrong side out the first time I did one. Um, Every time I do it, I have to stop and think about how to line up the first, the first, line it up the first time before I start to stitch it. It's, it yeah. is an effort. It is an effort, but I think the way you chose to fix it is how I would have fixed it as well. And I think it it looks great. I think that had I had something that, that wasn't as busy of a pattern, it would have been kind of, it might've been kind of awkward to do it right at that point. Mm-hmm. You know? But because you can't really tell, I actually do really love it now. And I think that the sateen works for it because this is actually, a, and it's a high quality cotton sateen and it's very, it uh, it, it's more maybe flowy than some of the ones I've, I've had like from, you know, from the like Joann's or something. This is a, a really nice sateen and it, ca- it came out good. So 
um, I'm happy about that. Um, so that one, um, I had joked and said it, it, it was less of PF anarchy and more of PF chaos. <laughs> uh, and to which one of our listeners wrote, can we please have that for the next <laughs> challenge? PF chaos, <laughs> which we should add that to our list. That's a good, we a hundred percent should. Yeah. I think we both make plenty of things that would qualify. Yes, I think so. And <laughs> the other thing I'm working on right now is, um, so the, the top that I'm wearing right here is one of my favorite tops. Um, it is the Style Arc Selena woven top. And it's, a, it's just a simple top, but at the end of the sleeves and at the bottom of the hem, there is a ruffle. And the ruffle overlaps on the bottom towards the front and, you know, um, the back part overlaps the front. Anyways, it's really nice. And I decided to make a dress out of it. So I, despite the fact that I say I don't like to draft these things, all I did was lay the pattern piece down and the bottom is curved. So I traced that. And then from that corner, I just measured up. Yep. Um, and then extended the line because it's actually, you know, kind of wide out like this. Yeah, me, so it'll be fine. And um, it has a it has a tiny little facing on it, which even on the first one I did, I used a bias tape facing. I often had trouble with that where the then the neckline sticks out a little bit, mm -hmm. you know. And so I rewatched a video I watched a long time ago with the Specky Seamstress, Laura. I follow her on Instagram and she also has a YouTube channel. And she did, I, th I think she still does, but I don't know. She used to have a bias tape business where she had these really cool things like glasses. She took some time off. She took some time off okay. from the bias tape business. I don't know if it's back yet. Oh, okay. Anyway, she has a really nice video on how to, to, to use that for a neckline. And there was a couple of little extra steps in it that I don't always follow. And so I decided to really take my time with it. And the neckline for my next version for this looks really good. So we'll see. It should be on my IG before this episode airs. So we'll see how it works out for me. That's wonderful. So if I'm understanding you correctly, you broke the rules by following uh, specific instructions. Yes, this is how I break rules. <laughs> you know, I think that's completely fair. It's uh, sort of like my rule breaking with my Vogue patterns I'm trying is doing everything they say to do. Yeah, so interfacing right. and exactly. yeah, all the dumb steps. Um <laughs> Oh my goodness. That's awesome. That's awesome. So I want to go back to the free range slacks. Okay. Um, that you made out of the Essex linen, yes. which look great. Thanks. Um, but I wonder if, and I don't know because I haven't worn linen in so long, how much of the difference might be between the slim leg, which presumably has a slimmer buttock as well, it doesn't. pants versus baggy. It doesn't really. Um, okay. So I guess I shouldn't say that. It, um, it's not a slim, even the tapered leg is not a slim fit pant. Okay. It's still, I just wondered. Yeah. yeah. I think it's more to do with the fact of this, this being this kind, this linen and cotton blend, but you, you could be right on that. You could be right. I just don't know. I don't wear pants enough and I don't wear linen pants enough. 
yeah. to really have a picture. But I know that you mentioned that was the other big difference there. Which do you prefer from a, a fit and fashion perspective? The slim fit or slim leg or the uh, tapered leg or the um, flowy leg? <laughs> the wide leg. Um, okay. I think, I think actually, I think think in this style, I think I like the wide leg. I don't know. I, it's swishy and it's just really cozy and comfy. And, um, I don't know about, uh, wearing it in the winter. I don't know. Like, cause I'm wearing it with like without socks or anything right now, but people other, uh, maybe boots I could wear with it. Not with mm-hmm. these, this color, maybe. I don't know. I mean, it depends on your boots. I have some amazing blue Uggs that would go well with that. Blue Uggs. <laughs> So the problem with, with, so I spend a lot of money on shoes. That's probably already super evident from my Instagram feed. I think we share that. I mean, a lot of money on shoes, but for some reason, Uggs, I will not buy full price. I only buy last season's colors and only, only in some sort of 70% or more off situation. And I don't know if that's because I, I think there's probably something in there about being a hipster and not wanting whatever that is, even mm-hmm. though I love them. They are the warmest thing. I love them in the snow. They're my favorite thing to wear to work when it's snowing out, <laughs> because if my feet are cold, I'm cold. And if my feet are warm, I'm fine. No matter what I'm wearing, coat or no coat, mm. if my feet are warm or cold, so goes the rest of my body. So, <laughs> so yeah, I love them to death. And I have blue orange and I have a pair of black booties, but I have blue and orange are my main colors of Uggs that I wear. <laughs> That's great. I have, Jim got me uh, Birkenstocks boots last year. So I Ooh. love them. They're great. For my that sounds day. amazing. Yeah. So what fun thing are we talking about today? So we asked our listeners by way of our Instagram feed to tell us what tools they use incorrectly in their sewing. And incorrectly, we really didn't mean like it's bad, just like it wasn't maybe something was not as intended. Yeah, not as intended. And we got so many responses and we are not going to have time here today to mention everything. And there are probably still some more responses coming in on Instagram. So be sure and check there. But we thought we could walk through some of our favorites in terms of um, what people have identified as those outside of the norm usages for things. And uh, yeah, there was a, a few things that were got mentioned more than one time. One of the things that was mentioned a couple times I wanted to ask you about some, a, a couple of people said that they use Sharpies to mark their fabric. The thing I was that, looking for my Sharpie. Because is that I what you that. do? Absolutely. But I guess you mean in places where you can't see. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'm starting with my Micron, which is a non-fading fabric pen, yeah. right? So it's, it's a Sharpie, but a Sharpie that's meant to go on fabric, but it's non-fading. That's the purpose of this one. So you could have an autograph quilt or something like that where they, where the oh. writing stays, but that means I'm using something to mark fabric that I know will stay. And that's because generally if I'm using it, for example, if I were going to use it to mark a dart point, yeah. I would mark inside the stitch line right? So I'd mark it half a centimeter down or two millimeters or whatever down from where my point's really going to be. That way it's on the inside of my fabric, or I might use it to mark 
um, notches on the sides on fabric that I don't want to trim because it's particularly ravelly. Okay. Right. And you can make a little mark in the hem, in the uh, seam allowance rather, things like that. So that's how I use them. But I, I definitely use non fabric, non fading, non washout items to mark things on my fabric. That's interesting. So the, the dart thing, I feel with a regular Sharpie would be a little risky because it could bleed bigger than you want. It can be, but if you've got a, if you've got the fine point Sharpie, it's not likely to bleed much. That's true. The other thing is I, I guess technically the friction pens are also not as intended because they weren't, they're not fabric. They're not no. fabric. They just happen to go away. Most with of heat. Time. Yeah. Yeah. Be careful of the red ones, folks, and pink. But you always, to me, if you're going to mark something with something that doesn't wash out, you're going to mark that inside of the seam allowance. Well, but I right. use them sometimes to mark the, like where I put the buttonholes. Oh, well, that's different. You're planning to stitch over that or cut it out. Yeah. But it can still show up a little. Well, then that's just silly. <laughs> But so, I find that the blue, the blue frictions do always work for coming out. Like if it's in a light color or something, right? But I, if it's a dark color, I always just use chalk. Well, yeah, and I I used to keep chalk, but I was always dropping it. <laughs> and oh, I and even if you liner. use the triangles or the chalk pens, um, I've had one of the chalk rollers pop uh-huh. apart, and that makes uh-huh. a mess. So I just eventually I. I just kind of went to using pens and I have my micron, I have Sharpie, but I'll also just use a ballpoint. <laughs> yeah. That's also, I mean, it, it is under the thread mostly. So yeah, you mostly get away with it. So I don't care much, but yeah. Now my absolute favorite um, came from autumn Carol 818. So it's autumn.carol, C-A-R-R-O-L-L 818. Mm-hmm. And this is the comment. I'm just going to read it out loud because As I read it, I thought, oh my God, this is my new plan. (laughs) The comment was scissors. I get the medium quality sort of Fiskars and I drive them ragged. Wire, paper, tape, cardboard boxes, foil. That angry evil child that was denied mama's good scissors is not yet sated. I just replace them when they start skipping stitches. Wow. And that is so brilliant. So I, I keep a wide variety of scissors. I've got really good, um, what I consider to be like professional seamstress grade, Mm -hmm. um, scissors. I have three pairs of those that are hanging near my window, but I also have, you know, the fit, the Fisker seasonally themed ones. So I've got Halloween. I have some Christmas ones somewhere as well. And the seasonally themed Fiskars are the ones that I'll use for just about everything. And I do, they move into the kitchen as soon as they start skipping threads, but I've never really thought about the fact that I don't have to keep buying and sharpening really good scissors because these are really cheap when you find them on sale and they will move on in my household to another task when they're no longer up to the current task. And I just, I just not considered that there might be a path that didn't involve waiting for the sharpening guy to come through town. (laughs) And so, yes, well, I have a slightly different perspective on this and that's because I'm left-handed and yes, I do like a good pair of scissors. And so I have a really nice pair of scissors, those Ginger scissors that um, are left-handed. They're not the most expensive, but they're more than craft scissors. And I found this 
this image online I shared with you, Jenny. I don't know if you noticed it in there, but it shows a pair of scissors with a lock around the, yeah. the opening to keep little kids. I don't have any little kids in my house. So I don't have to worry about it, but that would have been a great idea to have when I did oh have little God. kids that wanted to get into those scissors. Um, I do have a number of types of scissors around and I also use my, I use the most uh, actually. So I, okay. <laughs> Blades for the rotary cutter. What I used to do was I would cut them on paper when I had already discarded them from from cloth, like they they were messing up on fabric. But what I do now is I just use whatever I have in there on paper, and then just discard it. And just like I mean, they go they go dull really quick, anyways. It doesn't seem to make that much difference. Yeah. So, I agree. And someone else had a really neat tip regarding that, where they say they buy their uh, rotary cutter blades at Harbor Freight. They right. buy the rotary cover, cutter blades that are intended to be used for carpet cutting from Harbor Freight. And I had never even thought about it. That was Venia Conte, B-E-N-I-A-C-O-N-T-E. And I had never even thought about the fact that Harbor Freight has to sell things like that. So I'm going to end up hitting up my Harbor Freight and checking it out because I go through rotary cutter blades like mad since that's how I cut everything. Yeah, is using the blades. You'll have to let me know if that what what you think of that. I'm sure they're just as sharp. I mean, or maybe you know, I mean, and they may be heavy, more heavy duty. Well, given that I I would say every ten dresses or so, I end up replacing my blade anyway because it starts to skip, and sometimes sooner, right? Depending on the fabric, right? Um, and the number of pieces I'm cutting. So I I, I think it's got to do at least as well as that. And while I'm at Harbor Freight, I am going to look for. Um, some of the big washers that Kitmo, K, Knitmo rather, K-N-I-T-M-O, says uh, they steal from their husband's shop for pattern weights. That's because I've, I've always considered them, but when, I, when I've hit, I, I will admit, sticker shock when I've gone to Home Depot looking for these, I've been like, seriously? <laughs> I can buy incredibly attractive pattern weights from one of my favorite Instagram folks. Uh, I can buy for the price that I was finding at Home Depot, these really adorable pattern weights from what Sam made on Etsy. This is one of the the sewists that I follow on Instagram. Um, And in fact, I have just ordered a set of custom with images I provided to accompany the cute kitty cat ones that I purchased from well, let me see what they look like. What are they? I mean, are they? Oh my gosh. So they are just, I don't know what they are. There's some sort of, I'm going to oh, say like ceramic tile Okay. Uh-huh. But is that right side up? It is. But yeah, these, the tile, and then on the backside, is it felt or something? Felt. Yeah. Okay. Felt. And just has the best pictures of kitty cats on them. <laughs> and they have dogs and other images, but they'll do custom as well. And the customer about a little bit more, but not much more than what you would pay. Now I got some really, really inexpensive ones from, from Amazon a long time ago, like a set of 20 of them or something that are just, but they're, they're not that heavy. And I would kind of maybe prefer something a little heavier. Well, and I had previously bought agate slices. Ah, That's nice. Which I use as pattern weights too. And what I like about them is some of them have sort of more pointy ends. So they work well in parts of a pattern that has points. And this was, I purchased like 20 of them 
for something like $15, which was oh. really reasonable. And I use particularly at the pointy parts of things. So like these that. are great for facings or collars or yeah. um, neck edges, things like that, where you've got a point. So I use those in addition to using my, my really great kitty cats. And That's now I've got good. some more coming as well, because I, I really love um, the designs that are being offered there. And I had um, some designs of my own I wanted to stick on them. So I'm, I'm super excited. Okay. A couple of people mentioned, including Barb ZK1, mentioned using a glue stick. And I yeah. think there might even be some basting that you'd approve of. It is a hundred percent. I own um, washable glue sticks for just that purpose. I don't use them terribly often because I really just use my fingers to hold things together in the spaces that I need them to be. But um, if I'm doing, so I've ordered more fabric to make more towels and more washcloths. And on the towels, I experimented on the two that I made. I made one that only had a one inch double folded miter cornered edge. And the other one, it was two inches. And I like the two inch better. And the two inch would have been a better sew for me if I had glue sticked some of that down I instead see. of what I had, what I did, which was to use pins, which I don't care for. So if I glue sticked, I'd have been happier and I'd have been able to, I, I feel like I'd have been able to sew it more quickly and more accurately too. So that is what I am likely to use for my basting on those next time. So, um, since you have experience with this, the, the glue sticks actually hold the fabric together enough. Yeah, okay. absolutely. You're not, cause you're not looking for permanence, right? What yeah. you're looking for. And it's not like you go swipe the glue, shove it together. sew it immediately. You've got, you definitely have a few seconds while you're waiting for tack to happen. And oh, or at okay. least I do, that's how I do it. Um, so there is, there's a pause. You can't really be feeding it under with the glue stick going at the same time. <laughs> Just just like any other type of glue, you want to give it just a few moments to, to do its thing, but it does hold decently. Oh, cool. The other one that I think we saw a lot of was, uh, I guess, uh, C. Picus mentioned it, C. Picus, and with just a bit of grace, mentioned using three boxes for the thick cardboard that you might use for hem gauges, which I thought was great. So um, that's a that's a wonderful use for that, and that's an inexpensive thing um, for those who don't eat cereal. Literally any cardboard box that you bring in food in, so the yeah. pressed cardboard, not corrugated, is likely to work really well for that. And the great thing is you can iron over that. Like yes, you can. You can. Well, um, I imagine. I, I guess the dye probably won't come off. But you could. Fold I, I've never experienced a problem with that, but yeah. um, for the most part. Yeah, I, I can't imagine having a problem and there's going to be a side that's undyed in any case. Yeah, you put that, that you towards, can yeah. right put towards the side that matters. So yeah, I thought that one was a really, a really good one. I also really loved um, Weird Zebra Things comment. Anything can be a pattern weight, like a half drunk can of White Claw or a lazy cat. <laughs> that sounds fair to me. I have used cans from my kitchen. I've used the stapler. I've used my cell phone. I've used all sorts of stuff when, when I, you know, have, cause I try Absolutely. to do as I put way down as many pieces as possible because I find once I cut something out, if I remove it, it's hard to keep the other things on grain. It absolutely so, is. I agree with you. Yeah. And B Biblio girl, that's girl G R R L, uh, has used a six-year-old mini cans of Trader Joe's tonic water as pattern weights as well, <laughs> which I, I, I really love, really loved as a concept too. 
I noticed that a couple of people mentioned using chopsticks to turn corners. Yeah. In, and I use seam ripper. So I've used my seam ripper. I have a pair of very uh, sharp pointed uh, fiskers that I use for turning corners. Sometimes I'll just stick my pinky in there and hope it's close enough. I mean, it's, <laughs> I'm, I'm not real committed to anything, but one person mentioned using a bone folder oh. as a point turner. I don't even know what that is. I have one. Yeah, I use that too. It's a little, it's shaped like a, like it's kind of like a, a nail file, almost shaped like that, but with a point on the end. So it's long okay. and like that. And then, yeah, it has a point, but it's, it's dull to the touch. Like it doesn't poke. Okay. I use it from scrapbooking for making cards and things like that. To yeah, I just, I, I don't think I, you know, really realized that was a thing. So that's pretty cool. Several people mentioned those big carpenter squares, which I know my dad had for carpentry purposes um, as ways to get good long 90 degree angle cuts, particularly or longer straight edges than your standard quilting ruler. Okay. I I thought that was neat. And what were some of the others that you found to be really great? S-K-G piece, P-E-A-C-E. Yeah. Talked about using a cuticle stick instead of a purple thing, which I guess is an, a brand of things for feeding it is. through the through the serger. I like to use. Uh, Jim always has around little um, coffee stirs, those flat wooden ones, yeah. because he uses that in his art, and so those are good also because. If your needle were to hit it, it's no big deal. It's just a thin piece of wood, but it also really feeds things well. Am I the only one using my fingers for that? (laughs) Because I literally, when I read that, I thought, am I supposed to use a tool for that? (laughs) Because because it's just me and my hands doing that normally. Well, the serger really does pull things for you, you know, more so than the... Than a regular sewing machine. I watched Sarah Me on So So Live, and she always uses a pointy awl to push things through her sewing machine. And that's a nice one to use too, because it really catches the fabric and pushes it along. Yeah. I do sometimes use something else to help me push it through my sewing machine. But that's, I, I feel like that's different than my serger, which is doing all the work for me. Um, and I don't use it consistently. Mostly it's just fingers. And I, I have yet to stitch over my fingers with the serger. Have you done it with your sewing machine? Oh, so many times. Um, not in the last few years, but when I, when I was sewing for my kids and doing production sewing, where I was really um, cutting out in, in bulk in a way that's different than I do now. So it'd be, I'm going to make both of my daughters 10 pairs of shorts this weekend so I'd cut it all out at once and then I'd feed the left seam through the all of them and then yeah. the right seam through all of them and so on I'd hit my fingers periodically when I was doing that Ooh. um yeah. those are exciting injuries because I I always worried that the thread <laughs> would get driven in there in such a way that I would encourage infection so oh. um so it always made me a little nervous but yeah I've definitely sewn my fingers before but I've never surged them <laughs> and I've never cut on the on the blade with the serger, so I I take that as as a win. Well, um, one of the things that I do, I don't know if anybody else put this on there, but I use a lint roller in my sewing area a lot. We have those around our house everywhere because I have we have two colors of dogs, and it's not the same color. So no matter what you're wearing, you're going to have dog fur. But the lint roller is great for picking up um, loose threads on things, like on my sometimes my. Uh, cutting table gets a little uh, lint-y. And then also when 
I use my seam ripper all the freaking time because I constantly have to tear something out and pulling those little pieces of threads out drives me insane so that the lint roller works well for that. That's great. I have, um, I actually have a weird tool for that. Um, I bought a seam ripper at, at some store that has a little rubber head on it Oh, and the little rubber head, you just run it along the seam and it picks it up. So it's the same principle as a seam roller, but it's not sticky. It's rubbery instead for pulling things out. And, um, and this is, this is came as part of a seam ripper that, you know, is encased. Um, I don't really use that seam ripper. I just use the little rubber head. I think you could use, there are probably types of erasers you could use for things like that too. But most of the ones I have are the kinds of erasers that fall apart when you use them. (laughs) So they're not. I do have that, that um, gummy rubber eraser that might work well. Yeah. But, but that's, that's kind of what I, what I do with that one. But I, I like the idea of the lint roller. I can never find mine when I need it. Hmm. We should have more of them because we have three cats. Yeah. Well, speaking of seam rippers, some people talked about other things that they use instead of seam rippers. Some people use scissors and I think somebody said a razor. Oh, they may have, they may have the other, the other big one I got that was super helpful to me was someone saying they use the flat iron that they no longer have enough hair to use as an iron for hem and spot ironing while at their machine. And I, I thought that's a thing I could get on board with because I have no hair, but I have at least two flat irons and, and I could definitely see using one at my machine to do just a spot of, of ironing instead of walking the entire 12 feet across the room to the ironing board and doing that. So maybe you could also put the crimping blade in there and then make it even interesting, right? I mean, that could be a lot of fun. Uh, that does sound like the challenge I'm looking for. So yeah, I, I, I love that idea. I thought that was really brilliant. What else do you do? So I sometimes will put a toothpick over... I know Jenny's shaking her head. She doesn't like toothpicks. I'll put a toothpick on the top of the button to put the button loop in. Now I did this when I made something really thick. Like I, I made a, uh, a wool cape, which I've never worn. It, it made it so that there was more space for mm-hmm. the, for the button to, to get the fabric through. Now, why don't you tell us why toothpicks are bad? So I understand the philosophy on that, but toothpicks have always been forbidden in my household. Um, because when I was a child, my sister, who was the worst, dropped a container of them in the shag carpeting in our living room because I was alive when shag carpeting was super, super cool. And um, she dropped them in the shag carpeting in the living room and cleaned them up the way a six-year-old would. I mean, just all of them except for the ones she didn't. And I was, I grew up in Florida. My feet are tough as hell. I walked around barefoot everywhere all the time and apparently shuffled. Um, and I shuffled my way into more than half of the toothpick being stuck in the bottom of my foot. And it was painful. It was horrifying. And my father, a great and wonderful man, a true saint, an amazing helper. What I remember is that he came at me with lighter fluid and an exacto knife and said he would take care of it. 
<laughs> and I can't believe I didn't pass out when he said that, but I did start screaming and I did not stop until we got to an emergency room where proper medical care could be provided. <laughs> because as we tried to extract the toothpick, these not being a very high quality piece of wood that you stick in your mouth, for God's sake, what is wrong with people? It, it splintered on its way out. And so it was a problem. And they did probably end up using an exacto knife, but probably no lighter fluid at the ER to get that thing out of my foot, leaving me with the world's most embarrassing injured foot story um, for school the following week. Cause there is no way to make it sound like you're super cool and shuffled onto a toothpick lost in the carpet. But as an adult, it's been a pretty cool story. Um, but as such toothpicks, not a thing I like in my home. Mm -hmm. I think they're basically evil. Now, and the next thing I bet you do use, like I use tweezers and dental tools for lots oh, yeah. of dental tools are the best, right? Like they're just like, they are nice pokey in there. Those yep. little, little curvy pokey things. They're good. I use them for cleaning out machines. That's one of the places I use them, but they can be used as point turners. They can be used for, for all manner of things really nicely. And of course, dental floss, especially the mint variety is really good for gathering. Yes. Now this isn't technically using something as it shouldn't be used, but I learned about it through SOAS. And I think most people learn about it maybe from their mom when they're learning how to do laundry. But um, color catchers are great because I used to always sort all my laundry out into different piles. And then I stopped doing that because I could fit more laundry in if I didn't do that. And But the problem was that with store-bought clothes, they mostly are color fast now. But fabrics that we use often are not color fast. And what I found also is that sometimes prints that I've gotten haven't been color fast to within themselves. And so something mm -hmm. with a white background will get yucky from getting washed. So I throw up whenever I have, I, I just use color catchers. Now I throw it in there and the color catcher every time comes out this yucky gray color. And I'm always happy that I put it in there. Yep. My husband um, is the one who's responsible for most of our laundry and he uses color catchers as well. Those are good, but that's actually what they're for. So I guess it, it, it is, but it's, it's a good reminder that sometimes if you have unhappy results when washing your fabric, that may be why. Yeah. Could be why. So it's a, it's a good hint. Now, one of the ones that was on your list that I loved was the laser marker for your seam allowance. Yeah. Um, so I found that, I was looking for kind of things and there is something that you can attach to your, uh, it's actually for construction. They use it yeah. to, as a level kind of thing. And you can attach it to your sewing machine so that you can do your seam allowance. It can have a laser on your fabric. Yeah. And I, I think that's really interesting. I discovered that my machine has that built in when I accidentally touched some button on the touch screen and all of a sudden I had a red laser light and I'm and like, well, where the hell did that come from? You can choose like how far from the stitch. Yeah. That's so oh yeah. Cool. It's completely cool. But a lot of the sewing I do, of course it's curvy spaces anyway. I'm doing very little that's straight lines, yeah. but it's really useful for quilting and it's really useful for those towels and blankets I'm making. Now, wait a minute. If you have a curve, is does the light not go the whole way back? Well, it does. It, it goes the whole way back. I guess my point is, if you're turning around something, you may or may not find a straight line telling you what distance you are from something to be useful. Oh, 
Well, you can still see where your stitch is and stay. Yeah, you can definitely do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I just, so I'm one of those people where on my GPS, I have to have the thing turn the way my car is going because if it's always pointed north I will never get anywhere Uh, and and I think this is the same mental problem I think it's the same the same cognitive dissonance between what I'm doing and what the line is telling me as between what my map is doing and what I'm doing and why I can't can't bring those together if you if it's facing north I I will just go around in circles forever. So we have established that you replace the blades in your rotary cutter and that you replace the needles in your sewing machine like a Mm -hmm. good girl. So what do you do do. with the used um, sharps? So I, it's complicated, but in the end I throw them away. Um, but, But the way that I do it is that I work at a place that recycles metals like because my factory makes things out of metals and twice a year we pull together a big dump bin that all the metals that are going to be recycled go into and sharps go in there as well. But I don't think that you like put them in your pocket and take them to work the next day. You have no, no. I use a ball jar. Yeah. So I use, that's what I use my uh, recycled spaghetti jar. My spaghetti sauce. Yes, that's awesome. Yeah, I use a ball jar, but I bought mine decoratively somewhere. Oh, so yours is much prettier than mine. Mine actually like says the name of a spaghetti sauce on it. So yeah, I mean, I would, I think I would like that better, but I, it was one of those where I bought it because it was cute, and then I didn't know what to do with it, and then at some now, point now I'm like, oh, I can mine. Them. You've made so. me go decorate mine. I'm going to cover it in fabric <laughs> or something. Yeah, but I, I, I've always collected them that way. But for my, um, for my blades, I have, like, I found a small plastic Tupperware style container, but where it's, it's an oval shape uh-huh. that's about three rotary cutter blades long and one and a half blades tall, just to give you context for how big this thing is. It's not giant, but the lid that goes on it, half of it flips up. Ah. to be a flip top and the blades fit perfectly through that half opening. Okay. And that way I can leave it closed. Why don't you put it in with your needles? Because sometimes I reach in and take things back out of the needle jar. What? (laughs) So the reason that I do that is because sometimes I put things in there. I didn't mean to like I'll absentmindedly drop my thread cutter in there or I'll absentmindedly drop a clip, one of the quilt clips that I have in there. And I didn't mean to. And then later I've got to go retrieve it. And I would be uncomfortable retrieving it with the blades in there. So the blades have their own home So this and the blade thing. home seals, right? Yeah. So I can seal the lid on the blade home. So nobody's going to accidentally get into it. Yeah. Well, in my case, if anybody gets into my sewing area, then they're getting what they deserve if they get into that. <laughs> but, um, the, I also have a lid for mine because it's a spaghetti sauce jar, but there are a few things at my work that would be useful for home, for home use. And one of them is that we have a big, long stick that has a magnet on the end. And that would be so useful to have to, to get things out like that. Of course you'd get a bunch everything in there. <laughs> I know, but that's great for when you drop a pin on the floor. Mm-hmm. Because that's one of those things I struggle with is when I drop a pin on the floor, 
I'm a little bit older than where I really want to just crawl around on the floor trying to find it. So, <laughs> now, so having a magnet. Do you have carpet there or? No, it- no carpet. So at least it's visible. Yeah. But, you know, they bounce. Yeah. I've got a lot of crap on the floor. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> no, I like a magnet on a stick. That's great. You don't the way have any on this list here, Jenny. I don't. So the thing is, I don't, I don't really use sewing notions super consistently. Mm. And so that means I don't misuse them or look for substitutes for them consistently because I'm not really a pinner or a marker or a holder or a whatever of things. That's I love owning the sewing notions. Do not misunderstand. I have a box of many notions. I don't use it all because I love a good gadget. It's just the speed with which I sew, the way that I set up my sewing space. I don't really have the patience or the interest in figuring out how to use most of those tools. Yeah. So I don't. Yeah. It's pretty sad. <laughs> well, we'll definitely leave a link to all the, to, to this thread in the show notes so people can see all the ideas. I bet there's lots more of really good ideas. I do like little gadgets to do things because I don't know, I'm not very, I I don't never have any fingernails. And so I'm always looking for something to help me out turning things around or whatever. But I think this was a really good list of, of things to do. I do too. And there's more that we didn't even get a chance to mention on the podcast. Things like um, using cutting boards with some fabric stacked on them as short-term ironing boards in the space that you're at and other other things like that. So check out the list for sure, because I'm sure there are some more things that could be used by people that we haven't had a chance to mention yet. Yeah. So a couple of things that I do want to mention here at the end of the show, number one, so we're in the middle of PF anarchy and people's, people's, um, projects are starting to roll in, but remember we're, we're in the last month of PF represent and we have a $150 prize to Latoff fabrics. And Jenny, you got some fabric from there. I did. And I really liked it. It came packaged really nicely. It came with some samples of other fabrics that are sold as well. The shipping was quick. The fabric was exactly as advertised. And if you look at my Instagram feed, you can see this one. It's uh, visible because it's a black and white pattern. And when you look at the picture of it, there's black ruffles at the bottom in two different places on the dress. And so that's the black and white fabric is what I got from Latoff. So it's, it's right there for folks to look at. Great. And the other thing is we haven't asked for folks to rate and review us in a while, and that will be really helpful. It totally would be. We are doing great. Y'all are very obedient. Five-star reviews only come at us with your complaints as much as you want in those reviews, but make them five stars so that all of your friends and family and sewists you've never even heard of so far have the opportunity to find us and uh, listen to the PF Anarchy that's available through each and every one of our podcasts, even <laughs> when it isn't PF Anarchy Month. That's right. Okay, Jenny, it's, I think we've taken up enough of these people's time. I agree with you. It feels like it's time to go. <laughs> okay, we will. See, See you, you next Tuesday. Tuesday. 
Punk Frackers is created, produced, and edited by Beverly Baptiste and Jenny Hassler. On Instagram, you can find the podcast at Punk Frackers. You can find Jenny at J.O. Hassler and Beverly at Weeds to Wildflowers. Our artwork and music is created and performed by Jim Duran. You can find him on Instagram and his website at jimduran.art. 